The Fields of Home by Ralph Moody, University of Nebraska Press, 1953. So I've been on the road and <clears throat> Virginia's gotten married and I'm finally back. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that um, you have sustained us and kept us safe. I thank you for a vehicle that took us to Colorado and back safely. Uh, now direct our uh, reading, uh, give us joy in what we uh, hear from another era, another time, but that still causes us to wonder at your goodness in the life of another person. In Jesus' name, amen. So chapter 26, Bijah out trades himself. Grandfather and Mr. Swale were waiting in the barnyard when I brought the cows in. Old Myra was out in front. As usual, the spotted cow next and the brindle and Clarabelle were only a few steps behind me. There you be, Bijah, there you be, Grandfather sang out when the spotted cow came up past the sheep barn. There's a nice good cow for you, easy milking and clever as a kitten. Freshened less than a month ago and calculated I could let you have her for about $10 a boot. Fetch her right up here, Ralphie, where Bijah can get a good look at her. The old spotted cow weaved a little as I drove her up toward the barn. Her box-shaped bag with its uneven teats flopped from side to side, and her hip bones stuck out like sawed-off tree limbs. Halfway up, she stopped, turned her bed head back toward the sheep barn where we used to keep her calf and load. It was almost a wail. Gory sakes, Grandfather said. Tain't half past four yet, and her a bellerin be milked already. Fetch a pail, Ralphie, so Spice can try her out his own self. Just as he said it, the brindle cow bellowed from the door of the sheep barn. Even though her twin calves were gone, she always stopped there and bawled when she came in from the pasture. Time and tarnation, Grandfather shouted at me. Didn't I tell you not to fetch Clara Bell and the Brindlin? I didn't, I told him. They just followed us. Why don't you put the bars up so as to keep them back? Get them out where they can get some grass in their bellies. He sounded awfully mad, so I drove them back into the lane and put up the bars at the end of the barnyard. When I came back, he was stroking the spotted cow on the forehead, and Mr. Swale was standing away and looking at her. His mouth was pulled down at the corners, and he grumbled. Never mind. Never mind the milk pail. Grandfather's face looked worried, and he said, An awful good cow, Bijah. An awful good cow. If you don't trade for her, you'll always regret it. I guarantee her and stand right behind my word. Mr. Swale walked around to the other side, bent over, and looked at the cow's bag. <clears throat> Don't calculate she's just the cow I'm looking for, Tom, he said. An awful nice good cow, Grandfather said. Might shave the booty boot 50 cents, seeing she ain't fleshed up since the calf come. All fired nice easy cow for Miss Swale to milk. Mr. Swale stood back with his arms folded and teetered up onto his toes two or three times. Ain't worth it. Nope, nope. Don't calculate my missus would cotton to this here one, Tom. How about that brindle critter? Grandfather's face looked almost frightened. Gory sakes. No, couldn't let you. Bijah, I don't calculate that brindle would be the right one for Miss Well. You being an old neighbor, I'd be going to let you have this spotted one for $9 boot. You'll always be sorry if you don't take her. I was so mad I wanted to yell at Grandfather, but there wasn't a thing I could do or say. Mr. Swale wagged his head back and forth as he walked over in front of the cow. He stood a foot or two behind Grandfather, just above me on the little hill that ran up to the barn foundation. Then, as he teetered, he looked over my head toward the lane. The Brenda was reaching for clover through the fence. 
<clears throat> the afternoon sun struck along her back and side so that her color looked like weathered bronze. And in the long grass, her round, bulging bag almost seemed to reach to the ground. Nope, Tom, nope, Mr. Swale said as he teetered. Can't make you no trade on this one here. But I'll give you $9 and take the brindle. Great thunderation, no, Grandfather shouted. Butter's 28 cents, and Ralphie can't get all she gives at a milking into a 16-quart pail. Gory sakes, no. A hot flash went all over me, and I thought I knew what Grandfather was doing. I could hardly help grinning when I said, not by at least three quarts. It didn't take me take more than 15 minutes to make the trade after that. Mr. Swale just walked around the brindle once, looked at her bag from both sides in the back, and talked Grandfather down from 20 to $15 boot. We turned the red cow loose in the yard, barnyard and tied the brindle to Mr. Swale's dump cart. After he'd driven away, Grandfather folded bills and stuffed them into his wallet. There you be, Ralphie, he said. One that all right? Never told him a tarnal word twasn't gospel truth. Just sort of calculated buys to do his own trading. Wouldn't trust to other man not to lie about a critter. Let me see. Let me see. Not accounting what the twin calves fetched, I calculate this breachy red cow stands me $18 and a quarter. The red cow was standing at the far side of the barnyard. Her tail was turned our way, but she could, but she had her head twisted just enough so she could watch us. Grandfather picked up a stick and flung it toward her. Before it was hardly in the air, she dashed for the lame bars to sail over them like a frightened deer. Just so, just so, Grandfather said. Did you mark how she jumped with her head up like a hoss? Two, three days, we'll cure her of that. And with a little provender morning and night, I wouldn't doubt she'll make a pretty good cow. Mostly scared, that's all. Buys it, he don't treat his critters gentle. I was glad Grandfather had traded off the brindle, but I worried quite a little bit, uh, worried quite a little about what, what, it while I was doing the chores. The new red cow surprised me. I gave her a quart of meal just before I started to milk her and was careful not to do anything to frighten her, but I still remembered how quick she was when she kicked Mr. Swale and I kept one knee between her hocks. When I'd seen her tried, tied to the dump cart, I hadn't thought she'd give two quarts of the milking, but she gave more than six, and she was easy to milk. Grandfather had built a fire and put potatoes on to boil, but he was in his room when I took the milk into the house. Instead of scalding the pans and setting it right away, I scrubbed my hands and made a pan of biscuits. They didn't come out as well as the ones I made when Annie was there to tell me just what to do, but they were a lot better than grandfather's. And then I mashed the potatoes with cream in them while the pork was frying. When I called grandfather to supper, he was still excited about his good trade. Bye, fire, Ralphie, he told me. Soon, soon's ever we, need, we get this breachy one cured of jumping fences and get a little meat under her hide, I calculate she'll make awful good trading stock. I've been turning over my mind just who I ought to swap her off to. Maybe you won't want to trade her off, I said. She gave at least six quarts of milk tonight, and she didn't kick once. Six quarts? Glory sakes! Didn't calculate she'd give six cupfuls. Great thunderation. I certainly did even up with Bijah for being out of them four cords of wood. Being sick and with rheumatism in her hands, I kinda, I'm kind of worried about Mrs. Swale, I said. Gossip an old battle, asked Grandfather exploded, meaner and buys it with critters, seeing her bust a milk and stool across a fresh heifer's back. Ain't nothing more the matter with her hands than uh, there'll be with yorn. Seeing her a picking blueberries side the road the other day, nimble fingered as a fiddler. As he talked, Grandfather had been sitting with a piece of fried pork bounced on his knife. All at once he began laughing, bumped the heel of the knife down on the table, and sent the pork flying. 
By fire, he laughed. Did you mark the kick the breachy one fetched, Bysha? Quicker and scat, wasn't she? Heap up her measures of provender, Ralphie. I calculate that one kick was worth $5 a meal. Woo, I said. I was afraid for a little while you were going to trade the spotted cow off to him. I'd have hated to see people like that get her. You needn't have worried none, Ralphie. I know Bija and I knowed her father, and my father knowed his grandfather. Crooked as a rail fence, all three of them, and alike as crows are sitting on it. Want one of them you would tell the truth if you, if a lie would do, and always calculate everybody else done the same. Gory sakes, them three men has laud and been laud more than every three men this side of kingdom. Did ever I tell you about the White Oaks? The one great-grandfather climbed, I asked him. No, 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 he said it as his knife chased a scrap of pork around his plate. You recollect the stump field eastward of the county road just as you come up toward Coward, Cowan's Tavern? The one that's in even rows? Did you mark how the brook runs twixt it and the road? Yes, I said. Well, twasn't always there. In the year 1800, Sam Starboard bought the land adjoining father on the east. His deed ran from father's wall to the brook and followed her southward to a tarnal great beaver dam. Four or five years later, Bed Nego Swale, he was Bijah's grandfather, come in and bought up a piece of land to the other side of the brook. Well, Sam Starboard, next to father, he was the best farmer hereabouts. Crack a dawn till twilight, he'd be a chopping and a burning till he cleared him a ten acre potato field in the valley. Virgin soil twas then, Ralphie, black and didn't need no dressing. Wasn't no roads in them days, but Sam, he had an all fired great wide horned ox. Come fall, he'd hiss two hundred weight hundredweight of potatoes onto the back of the ox and lead him off down to bath two, three times a week. Shipmasters was a paying high for potatoes, and Sam, he commenced to prosper. Winter of eighteen twelve to thirteen was an all fired hard one. Come spring, thaw, water rise in the valley till it was higher than the tall man's head. When a run off, the brook had changed its course. Followed the nigh edge of Sam's potato field instead of the far one and ripped out the beaver dam. Didn't bother Sam none, just throwed a long bridge across to come up plant time and went on about his business of growing potatoes. All in during the spring and summer, he'd hear Bednego a swearing at his oxen and a working in the woods along the old stream bed. Twasn't none of Sam's business, and him and Bednego wasn't on the best of terms no ways, so he didn't pay it no heed. Come the spring of 1814, and Sam finds his log bridge chopped out and hauled off. When he thought about building him a new one, old Bendigo come a-running down through the woods, a-hollering, Get off my property! My deed reads to the east side of the brook. Well, sir, Ralphie, <clears throat> there wasn't nothing for Sam to do but law him, and he lost. Bendigo had sought out seven- and eight-year-old trees in the old water course and sowed grass twixt them. To look at it, every man would have swore on a Bible the brook hadn't run there in a half a score years. Didn't Mr. Starbird ever get it back, I asked? No, no, but there's more to it. You might fetch the pie, Ralphie. There's a couple pieces left, ain't there? Well, as I was a saying, Sam, he lost out in the lawn. Even after he'd showed the squire where Bednigo had rolled three, four tarnal great boulders into the stream bed to turn its course. Wasn't many folks around about these parts in them days. Father, he was off with the militia. The British had fetched in soldiers, and there wasn't nobody else to swear about when the water course had changed over. Of course, Bendigo swore it was afore he ever bought the land. Well, sir, when the lying was all over, Sam, he went to Bendigo and says, Bendigo, 
When a man's beat, he's beat, and there ain't no sense of squabbling over a little parcel of land. I come to you to let you know I still want to be neighborly. I've been a farming that bottom land so long I know the quirks of it, and I calculate I can raise more on it than any area another man. It'll take me a year to clear another potato field, and I'm a hankering to raise one more crop on that bottom land. But they go, I come here to make you a cash offer for $25 in advance if you'll let me raise just one more crop on that ground. Of course, I expect you to pay the taxes and keep the fences good and not get rid of the land until my crop is harvested. And I'll want a writing on it sought down in the squire's book. After I've paid you, I don't calculate to have no more water courses changed on me. I want everything ship-shaped and legal. You know what he'd done, don't you, Ralphie? Did it have something to do with the stumps, I asked? That was it, Ralphie. $25 was a lot of money in them days. Still is a lot of money. Well, soon as ever the writing was all written and the money was paid, Sam, he planted him one crop of white oak on that 10 acres. You know how long it takes a crop of white to grow? I shook my head. 100 years. Sam Starbridge's grandchildren took them off, them oak off the land less than five years ago and made them wealthy. The taxes and fences has kept Bendigo's offspring poor all their lives, and there ain't nothing they can do about it. Sometimes, Ralphie, paint the part of wisdom to think you're smarter than your, your fellow man. Gory, I'm a-getting sleepy. Calculate your old grandpa or crawl off to bed. Well, that was clever. So lawing means that the lawyers got involved. So they had to get the, the lawyers involved there. And, and then the oaks had to grow before um, they could do anything about them. Anyway, lots in that chapter. Good, good milking stories, too. I love you guys.